When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, man, we're excited to, to spend some more time together as we continue to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you are new uh, to the Wednesday Bible Study, and it's just called the Wednesday Bible Study because that's when it is, uh, uh, you know, we do it live, and you can watch it live on the YouTube channel, uh, rickandbubba.com. If you're joining us live, good to see you. Uh, if you can't catch it live, we archive it soon after. Uh, some of you right now are watching or listening to an archive, and you can find the audio archive on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel, and you can find uh, the video archive at the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. Both can be found at rickandbubba.com. And if you follow us on social media, you'll get an alert uh, that'll let you know when there's something new or we'll send something out every week once the archive is ready. If you want to go back to past Bible studies or catch up on this Bible study on sessions you may have missed, uh, you can also do it to one of two ways. You can go to the YouTube channel at rickandbubba.com and find the archive if you want to do the video one. If you'd rather just do audio only, you can find those at BurgessMinistries.com, my last name, BurgessMinistries.com, and just click on Listen. A couple of updates. Uh, I know that this started out as a men's Bible study. Uh, it's now kind of morphed into just a Bible study. Uh, so I know a lot of women uh, listen to this and watch this every week. And the big question you always have is, when's, when's Sherry going to speak again? Because uh, you get enough of me, and I understand. Sherry is going to be speaking on November the uh, 6th. November the 6th in Union City, Tennessee. Uh, she'll be speaking at the Women's Conference at Calvary Baptist Church. So November 6th, Sherry, Union City, Tennessee, Calvary Baptist Church. Ladies, go and get your tickets to that by going to BurgessMinistries.com and looking at upcoming events. Now, talking about things that are going on with the men, uh, I'll be uh, speaking this weekend, uh, October the 17th, uh, and uh, I'll be speaking in Petal, Mississippi, uh, there for the Pine Belt Baptist Association. They're having, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the service that everybody can come to as their association is gathering. Now, men, women, children, anybody can come to that. Uh, so that's uh, this Sunday evening. Uh, if you're listening to this live or you've got the archive on that same week, October the 17th, and you can get those details uh, at rickandbubba.com or burgessministries.com under upcoming events. Now let's get down to just man churches. Uh, we've got different speakers going out different times. Uh, Scott Garoski, also on the 17th, will be uh, in the Birmingham, Alabama area. Uh, the church at Liberty Park is going to be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy uh, with their first man church. Scott Garoski will be the speaker. Uh, then I'll be headed over to Mangum, Louisiana on October the 24th. They've been doing the men's discipleship strategy. This is their next man church. I'll be speaking there as they continue into our curriculum, and that's at Mangum Baptist Church in Mangum, Louisiana. On October the 28th, Op Alabama, Scott Dawson uh, will be there speaking at Westview Baptist Church. They are doing the men's discipleship strategy. And then we're going to have a man church men's conference in the great state of North Carolina. Uh, Green Street Baptist Church is hosting that at their church. I'll be speaking both on November the 5th on Friday night and then again on November the 6th on Saturday morning. If you'd like to uh, register for that, you go to uh, um, themanchurch.com and rickandbubba.com under events. You can find that there. Uh, then we got Mark Garnett on November 7th. He'll be in Colquitt, Georgia at First Baptist Church. They're continuing the men's discipleship strategy. This is their next man church. Scott Dawson again will be in Laurel, Mississippi coming up on November the 11th at Journey Church as they continue the men's discipleship strategy. And then I'll be kicking off uh, the men's discipleship strategy at Pine Grove Baptist Church in Center, Alabama on November the 14th. So that kind of gets you updated on what's left uh, in 2021. If we get new stuff, we'll let you know. So let's open up uh, with a word of prayer, and let's jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for revealing to us who you are through your holy word. And Lord, today, may we, when we take away uh, what you need us to take away today, uh, may you be glorified and may we grow spiritually by the power that only you can provide. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, so let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9. I did something kind of odd last week. Uh, I did 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, 
because they're kind of dealing with, with this same topic. Uh, today, Paul is going to stay with this same theme, uh, meaning he's now answering questions that the people at the church at Corinth, the questions they had asked him. And this one today is going to revolve around a topic that I think a lot of times uh, people can be uncomfortable with, uh, people have questions about. Uh, sometimes people raise an eyebrow about this. And this is uh, about financial support. And Paul is going to be very clear on uh, what Scripture says and what God has said about us financially supporting those that are in vocational ministry, those that are teaching, those that are preaching. Uh, and sometimes this can be a very, very touchy subject. And again, uh, it's a different topic, but it's still under the same heading of what? Christian liberty. How, how free am I in Christ? What are the rights that I have and uh, the freedom provided by the grace uh, that was only accomplished uh, by Christ? And again, we, we do have liberty and we do have freedom uh, in grace, but uh, we don't have the freedom to just do whatever we want whenever we want. And so Paul's saying, I'm trying to give you some guidance on some of these gray areas. And ultimately, each individual person who has been redeemed, you need to, in your own life, be seeking what God would have you do. But that doesn't always mean that's what he would have someone else do, even on the same topic. Uh, so, And we're not talking about sin here. We're talking about things that we are doing as the followers of Jesus. So first of all, let's be crystal clear about what's going on. Paul has every biblical right to ask for financial support from the church of Corinth. So he would not be wrong to do that. However, he has decided to set aside that right to achieve a higher goal. And we're going to get into that because I think that's going to help us make some of these decisions in our own lives concerning this topic. Now, what you got to understand about the Greeks, because <laughs> remember, Paul decided that he would go out and be a tent maker and that he would provide for himself. Um, now, he didn't do that in every situation, but he definitely did with the church in Corinth. Well, the Greeks despised manual labor. Uh, they looked down on that. They, they didn't think that anybody of Paul's status should be doing any kind of manual labor uh, the Greeks kind of had the attitude that they were slaves to handle that. Uh, and, uh, and so the, what they wanted to do is have the slaves do all the manual labor so the citizens could enjoy sports, philosophy, and leisure. My goodness, that sounds incredibly uh, familiar. Uh, but so, so that, uh, that, that was kind of the way that, um, that they saw it. Now, here's the difference. The Jewish community felt completely different about that. They thought that manual labor was something that should be desired. Even the rabbis who had the highest education, there wasn't a rabbi out there that didn't also have a trade. I mean, you might have your rabbi doing woodwork, uh, you know, or whatever, but this was the, the Jewish people thought manual labor was something to be celebrated, and, and it just, it, it, they magnified honest labor and thought this was a wonderful thing. The Greeks did not. So, so here's Paul once again. Remember, we got one church now. Uh, there's no longer Greek, there's no longer Jew, but we're taking these cultures and they're all kind of colliding into word, one church. Now, Paul himself had an incredible work ethic. Uh, and, and we, of course, um, as the church, if you see the way um, what's being said to the church, we as followers of Jesus should also have incredible work ethics. There's nothing that nauseates me more than to see someone that, does, that is in vocational ministry and, and it almost seems like that it's not a call on their life by God. It was something they thought might be a job they could take so they would have to work hard. Uh, I've seen a lot of people in vocational ministry, frankly, they're lazy. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, that, that that is not, that when, when you have been called to vocational ministry, that doesn't mean that your work ethic is somehow thrown out and now you're just kind of hanging around, uh, not, not working hard. I think that followers of Jesus, based on Scripture, we ought to be some of the hardest working people on the planet. And, and our work ethic is worship. And you see this. We've, we, I mean, the scriptures talk about that, that we're actually working for Jesus. And there's nothing more embarrassing to the church, and I think embarrassing to our Lord and Savior, for somebody to claim to be redeemed by him that has a terrible work ethic. Uh, and, you know, we, we should have a great work ethic, and Paul absolutely did. So, uh, so anyway, let, let's, let's talk about how Paul lays out uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Everybody got the background? We got the foundation set? So on, on, on verses 1 through 14, and, and we'll break them down smaller than that, here's what he's going to say first. 
He's going to say, I'm going to start this part of the letter by first of all showing you and making the case that I have the right to receive financial support from you. I have the right to do it. Now, again, he's going to set that right aside, and we'll get to that later, but he first of all wants to establish that he actually has the right. Uh, so that's one thing we need to realize, too, when, when we are supporting those uh, that may be in need of our support that are doing the job of preachers and teachers in vocational ministry. So first of all, uh, this, let's, let's start with verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6, he says, Am I not free? Uh, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, who is Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So that tells you pretty quick that he and Barnabas are taking a different approach and there's some pushback on whether Barnabas and Paul should be receiving any financial support. And what he's saying is, now when did we start being treated differently? Do we not have the same pedigree of these others that you're supporting? What's the difference between me and Barnabas and these other people? Now remember, Paul was always defending his apostleship because there were people who pushed back. There were people who came into the church of Corinth that said, he's not an apostle. He wasn't with the original 12. Uh, he, he didn't see the resurrected Jesus. But Paul says, oh, yes, I did. On the road to Damascus, I encountered the resurrected Jesus, and my ministry, which is was, was because the, 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 the word here that, the, that we're using in English for apostle is the word that means one sent under commission. You know, you, you, you had to be a witness of Christ after the resurrection and to be called an apostle, which is why I disagree with some people trying to be called an apostle in modern times. To be called an apostle, you had to encounter the resurrected Christ and you had to be given your ministry directly, not indirectly, not from the Holy Spirit, but from Jesus himself. And if you did not, if you did not see the resurrected Jesus, you could not acclaim apostleship. So Paul is saying, I am an apostle, and one of the examples that I'm an apostle is you. He's saying, because I established this church, you were, I am your spiritual leader. I have been the one to disciple you. I'm the one who, um, who started this church. So um, I was looking at some of the commentary. This is uh, from Waresby. Uh, Waresby talks about this in great detail on some of the history behind what's going on here. And so here, here is the the proof of, of Paul's apostleship. He said, uh, Paul saw the Lord when he was traveling to Damascus uh, to arrest Christians in Acts 9, if you want to write this down. If you want to go see his encounter, if you're not familiar with it, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Also, the apostles, as I said, were to be witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Uh, so we, we, we should see him back after we know he was dead. Well, you see Paul uh, dealing with this and this being talked about in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 32. Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Acts chapter 5, verse 32, and Acts chapter 10, 39 through 43. This is all about what it means to be an apostle. So the apostles also were what? They were given the ability to perform, uh, perform special signs and wonders to attest the message that, that they preached. Now you find this, uh, saying this is some of the things that apostles have been given in Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 4, write that down. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4 says, they were given the ability to do many signs and wonders. Paul had done this. I mean, he had done miracles during the ministry in Corinth. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, if you go, we're, we may or may not do 2 Corinthians. I kind of think I know we're going after this, but it, you need to know this. He's talking about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. This is an incredible chapter about his apostleship. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul considered the Corinthian church, a very special seal of his ministry as an apostle, which is why he said that. Corinth was a different city to minister in, and yet Paul accomplished a great work because of what? The Lord's enablement. The Lord enabled him to do great things in a city that people said, there's no way you're going to plant a church in Corinth. That's not going to happen. That place is too dark, too twisted, and he was able to supernaturally do that, and, and, and they saw some miracles and wonders that he was able to do uh, Acts 18 talks about this, 1 through 17. Acts 18, 
1 through 17. That, these are things he did in Corinth. And he's telling them, you know I'm an apostle. You alone are an example that I'm an apostle because you've seen the evidence of it. And uh, so, so because he was an apostle, Paul had the right to receive support from the people to whom he, he ministered. So because you know an apostle then was a representative of Christ and he deserved to be welcomed and cared for. Now Paul talks about the fact that he's unmarried. We don't know whether Paul was a widower or not. Some people believe for Paul to be the age he was and a, and a Jewish man, it's, it, that it was unlikely that he had never married. We don't know, but we know he's not married now. And he doesn't seem to reference ever being married, so it's possible he's never been married. But Paul was unmarried, but if he had a wife, as he said, he would have the right to come to this church and say, and you need to support my wife as well. Because uh, we know that Peter did his ministry with his wife, uh, and, and the churches that supported Peter, they supported him and his wife because they were doing ministry together. Uh, so, uh, and we know that he was a married man. You can write this down for Peter, Mark 1.30. Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 30, uh, Mark establishes that Peter was a married man and that his, his uh, wife traveled with him, and she would be given the same rights to financial support uh, as her husband. So, uh, so Paul had the right to devote his full time to ministry, and, uh, and, and how about this? He did not have to go make these tents. He didn't have to do that. He did not have to make his own money, but he did. Uh, the other apostles did not do this. They were completely financed by these churches, uh, and, um, and, and, and everything that they got, they used for themselves and continued to be full-time, you know, devoted to the ministry of the Word. Now, Paul and Barnabas both took jobs, and they worked with their own hands, not only to support themselves, but they also supported their support staff. So what he's saying is, I want to tell you in verse 1 through 6, Barnabas and I could make the same claim, and we have the same right. Uh, so he goes on to say uh, uh, another reason, just common sense. He uses example of, of human experiences. Uh, look at uh, verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits or tends a flock without getting some of the milk? He's saying common sense. When, when you're doing these jobs, do you not take some of that for yourself? So if I'm an apostle, I have every right to, to pull financial support from the churches that I'm ministering to because uh, do, do we make soldiers go out and, and serve at their own expense? Here I am, a soldier for Christ. Uh, we support them, don't we, so they go out and do battle. Then I could, I could make the right to be supported in spiritual battle. And he says, if I was out here and I had a vineyard, do I not pull some of that off for myself? Of course I do. If, if I tended a flock, do I not benefit from the flock? Of course he does. So he's saying, so two things. I, I, I could ask for support. Why? Because of I'm an apostle. I could ask for support. Why else? Just human experience. It's common sense that I could get this. The next thing he says, I could be supported because the Old Testament already says this. This is, this is what they were studying. Now remember, they don't have a copy of the New Testament yet. So the things as he's going to refer to here in a minute from the New Testament, what we would call the New Testament, is these things they are hearing orally and being taught. It, these things cannot be written down yet, but I mean, you know, the followers of Jesus would come to the churches and they would say the things that we now have written down. So there's things in the New Testament that they knew even though the actual written, finished New Testament was not available to them. They knew it because they were hearing it firsthand and it was being passed along orally by people either who were with the disciples, were there when the, when the disciples taught something, or when the apostles now, and, uh, and then they would continue to pass these things along. So he'll get to that in a minute. But this next thing he's talking about, look, you know this from Scripture, the Scripture that you do have. Uh, he says, do I say these things on human authority? Verse 8, does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, uh, it is for oxen that, that God's concerned. So he's only concerned for an ox, but he wouldn't be concerned for me. And why did they say not to muzzle an ox? They said that was animal cruelty. If that ox is helping you gather this, then you don't muzzle him so he can eat some of it himself as his reward for the work he's doing. And this, uh, this comes out of um, uh, Deuteronomy 25.4. Deuteronomy 25.4 says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it, when it is treading out the grain because that was considered to be cruel. And so Paul said, so God cares about an ox, but he wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have you take care of me? Of course he would. And then he goes on to say, um, 
Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It is written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. If we do this for animals and we do this for farmers, shouldn't you be doing that for us? So see, he's making the claim that biblically and common sense, he has the right to be supported fully by the church at Corinth. And so does Barnabas. Now keep in mind, he is not saying that the others that are taking the support are doing the wrong thing. So that we got to be real careful with that. You know, when we're all in the church and say some people are bivocational and some people are vocational, some people say, look, I've got a day job, I don't need anything. Other people say, no, I will take a gift. See, what happens is, as human beings, we tend to think that if I do it one way, that's the way everybody should do it. And my way is, is, is of a higher calling than your way. And the fact of the matter is, no, it's really not. There's nothing wrong with a full-time minister of the gospel being fully supported by, by, by the church. And there's also nothing wrong with somebody saying, I don't, I'm not going to do it that way. And, and Paul's going to get into why he's not doing it that way with Corinth. Now, he does do it that way with the church at Philippi. They do give him gifts. But at Corinth, he's not going to do it that way. And he's going he's to talk about being wise about how we, go, we, we approach this. So one of the other things that was, that was said in, uh, uh, about the Old Testament, it was the Bible of the, of the early church. The New Testament was in the process of being written. I thought St. Augustine, I, I wrote down this quote, made a great statement. He said, the new is in the old concealed. The old is by the new revealed. So the Old and New Testament, they work beautiful like that because what's the whole Bible about? It's still about the same thing. It's about Jesus, and it's a revelation of who God is. Um, so anyway, but, but Paul correctly saw a spiritual um, element to, to him being uh, having a rightful, uh, uh, had a right to this financial support. Now, in, in the book of Galatians in the New Testament, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, you'll see that it clearly says those who teach us the word have the right to expect us to support them. Now, I already told you how they would know that. Uh, they would know that because uh, the, the, these New Testament letters were being passed along even though the New Testament did not exist for them to hold on to. They still were getting uh, uh, this. So it says, one who is taught, this is verse 6 through 10 in Galatians 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit, to, uh, to the, the spirit will, from the spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then we have the opportunity, so that we have the opportunity now let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. He says that those who are teaching us, those that are being taught, should support those who are teaching. So that, that's right out of the, the, of, of the Bible. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Paul did not accept financial support from Corinth, but again, if you read Philippians chapter 4, write that down, 15 and 16, you will see that the church at Philippi was giving support to Paul, and he gladly accepted it. You'll see this in his letter he writes from prison. But he doesn't do it at Corinth. As a matter of fact, and this is, the, I think, the way we should see things, if you find yourself the person who needs to give, or you find yourself in a position that you could also have the right to receive. And here's what Paul is saying. If you, we may not get to, um, to 2 Corinthians, so I want you to turn over here right now. This is a very interesting point that he makes about this, these people that he is discipling. He's got this relationship with the church at Corinth that's very unique. So I want you to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter um, 11 and look at verse 8. This is very, very interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. Listen to what he says to them. Now this is the, the church at Corinth. I robbed other churches by accepting uh, from support from them in order to serve you. you. 
I, I, I haven't asked you for money. Really, if you think about the fact that you're not supporting me financially and these other churches are, I'm really robbing from them because they're having to provide something that you should have provided. But he doesn't do it, and you know why he doesn't do it? You, you, you'll see. And, and it's actually extremely, extremely smart. Look at, uh, look at what uh, verse 12, because that's, that's the key. Verse, verse 12, what I just read, is the key. So it says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Look at the next thing he says. B is the key. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Inside this church, I know this never happens at church, there were people arguing about whether he should be supported financially or not. You know what he says? I'm taking it off the table. I'm not even going to go there. I tell you what, if y'all going to argue about that, and that's going to be an obstacle, I'll go make tents because I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear y'all arguing about having to raise money for me and on whether I deserve it or I don't deserve it or whether Barnabas deserves it or whether he doesn't deserve it. You guys are not joyful givers, and you guys can't get past it, and y'all can't agree on it. So how about this? I don't want to do anything that's going to put an obstacle or stumbling block between me discipling you, and if this is a problem, then I just won't accept it. Now, I will tell you that I have found myself in this position because one thing that I do not do, even though when I'm going to, to teach and to preach, biblically I have a right to receive an honorary. I do. I have, I have a biblical right to do that. Now, sometimes I do that and sometimes I don't. And so what, what happens in this is what I found, and take one thing I never do, never, and God bless the churches that want to do it this way, but I won't allow it for this very reason. Nobody's going to pass a bucket for me. Hey, Rick's here, and we're glad he's here, and we appreciate him making traveling here, and, you know, and he's left his wife at home and his kids when my kids were small. And, uh, you know, so let's just show our gratitude. I'm going to pass around a, a plate, and somebody throw some money in there for Rick. Never. And the reason why I don't do that, so if I'm given an honorarium, you'll never know about it. And the reason why I don't do that, see, I could say, you're, you're, yeah, go ahead, y'all pass that, because you know what? The Bible says that y'all should give me something from coming and teaching. I got a right to it. It's not sinful. Pass it on. But the reason why I don't do that is because I have a day job, and I have a day job that provides everything that I need. I, my, my, my power is not going to be cut off if I never get an honorarium. However, the, the, and there are many, many men that will come to hear me speak, or sometimes women, that never grace the door of a church. And what's one of the things that people don't come in church always say, all they want is your money. And the last thing I want to damage me teaching these people and point them to Jesus is somebody saying, he's got that radio show, and I know he makes good money. Why in the world is he asking us for money? Well, see, that's just what I'm talking about. All they want is money. So you know what? I'm not going to be put in that situation because it will be an obstacle to what we're trying to do. Do I have a right to it? I do. But do you think these people really want to hear me talk about my right to that? Their first time to ever come to church or maybe they're new to the church. They really want to hear that conversation? No, they're not ready for that conversation. And so Paul is saying to this church, if this is an issue, let's just forget it. You know, but I want you to know that I had a right to it. So, so what I'm doing is I'm going to take that right and I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going, I'm not going to lay that card down because that's not what's best for this church. And what I do is when somebody, if I feel called to come somewhere and I think it's part of what God is doing, if they offer an honorarium, I take it, I bring it back to pay the expenses. I mean, many times for me to go do something, it costs more for me to get there than, 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 than anybody, than any gift I'm going to be given. Fine. So maybe I, I didn't lose as much money. And if there's some, some of them, I'm given a gift. And it didn't cost as much as it took me to get there. And that all goes right back into the ministry and right back into this. And we just churn it like this. Money goes in, money goes out. Money goes in, money goes out. And so I don't need it to survive. But if God calls me to full-time, uh, uh, you know, a different kind of ministry than this, and I don't have the day job anymore, then I'll treat it differently. But I don't ever ask anybody to do anything out of the ordinary. But I will, if, if all they say is, well, we don't have anything we don't have a gift for you. To have a gift, we'd have to pass the plate. And I feel like I'm called to come to that and teach. Then I say, then just forget it. 
because we're not going to pass the plate. We're not going to do that uh, because it would be an obstacle and it's not the way it should be done because that's not wise. Well, Paul is, is saying, I know that this causes problems within this church, so I'm not asking you for it. So, so look, look, at, look at what he says in, in verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? He's also saying, here's another example of, of why I could ask for it. This has been a practice that's been going on for a long time. And you know what? Y'all know that. Uh, he, so he said, this is something that, that we saw. The priests and the Levites lived off the sacrifices and the offerings that were brought into the temple. Uh, you can find this in Numbers 18, uh, 8 through 32, if you want to go read it. We don't have time for that today. Leviticus 6, 14, Leviticus 7, 36, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 6 through 33. The application is clear. If the Old Testament ministers under the law were supported by the people to whom they ministered, should not God's servants who minister under grace also be supported? That's what Paul said. So let me establish, Paul saying, as far as the argument in this church, those of you that say I don't have a right to the support, you're biblically wrong. But I want to be clear, if it's going to be a stumbling block for you, then we're not going to do it. And then you know what else he says? He also tells them about the his final point on it is the teaching of Jesus. I mean, if you look at Luke 10, 7 through 8, and Matthew 10, 10, you know what Jesus says? The laborer is worthy of his hire. Whoever's working ought to be paid. If, if they're out there and they're on the road and they're going town to town, city to city on my behalf, when they come to the city, you should support So, And you're saying, well, they didn't have the New Testament. They don't have the book of Luke. They don't have the book of Matthew. You're right, but they, heard, they had people who heard Jesus teach this. They heard Matthew himself say it. They heard Luke himself say it. So this is being passed along orally, even though they don't have it. Uh, so the apostles have been passing that along. So here's the conclusion. He, he, he proved his point. He had five arguments. So at this point in our study of chapter 9, Paul has conclusively said he had the right to expect the Corinthian believers to support him in his ministry when he was with them, yet he deliberately refused their support. Why? Now he tells us why. Okay, so that's the, re that's the rest of the chapter. So he defends now his right this is a great teacher. First of all, I'm going to tell you I have the right. Now I'm going to tell you why I'm not going to, I'm going to refuse to take this right. And he's given us one indication, kind of in general, that I don't want it to be an obstacle to my teaching. But, but he's, he, he's keeping with the theme that uh, should not be, should the stronger believers in the church be able to set aside their rights for the sake of the immature saints. Remember, this is the theme he's talked about with the meat and all this. He's saying the bottom line is, if this is going to cause some of the younger members of the church and people that are new to the faith to not understand about the right that I have to be financially supported, if this is going to be a problem for them as a stronger, more mature uh, person of faith, I'm, not, I'm going to say I may have the right to this, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Because if it's going to cause them to stumble, I'm not going to do it. And, and he talks about this in, in verses uh, 15 through 27. Listen to what he says. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Hey, you ever had that before? This sounds like my mama sometimes. You didn't remember my birthday, but I'll tell you what, I, 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 there ain't no way I'm taking a birthday card from you now. Okay, You knew you should have done it, now you say you're going to do it. I'll tell you one thing, I'd rather die than take a birthday card from you now because you missed it. And what Paul is saying is, I've established the right, and some of y'all may be saying, well, hey, now that you've said that, I guess we will give it to you. No, sir, no how. I, will, I would rather die than take money for y'all, by the way y'all have complained about it. Okay, and so what he's saying is, for if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Well, there's a takeaway. There's a takeaway. He says, I'm going to deny myself the right to this, verses 15 through 18. Why? For the sake of the gospel. The, the, the advancement of the gospel is bigger than me, you know, dying on this hill about the right for me to be financially supported by you. I'm not going to die on that hill. 
because woe to me if this does anything that keeps me from preaching the gospel. If this is going to make me less, it's going to make the integrity of my faith in your eyes less, I'm not going to do it. Hear me. Hear me. Everybody hear me. This is important. Every member of this Bible study, Paul is saying, if even if this is something I have the right to do, if it hinders the advancement of the gospel, if it makes me less effective for the gospel, I will not do it. What he's saying is, I'm not so prideful that I would say, well, no matter, hey, I'll tell you what, I don't care if it bothers you or not, I got the right to it, and y'all better be passing the plate. He said, I'm not going to have that kind of attitude. Because what's the most important thing? That the gospel not be hindered. That's the most important thing. And he says this, he said, I will not take this right because I will never, if I don't take the financial support, then I could never be accused of, of having an underhanded ulterior motive. What do we hear all the time? Well, they just do it for the money. They just do it for the money. And you know what? A lot of times we're in sin for thinking that, but sometimes it is also the fault of the ministry. It's not always the fault of the people. Many times it's the fault of the ministry. For, for, for number one, not having the wisdom that Paul has. Maybe we just need to shut up about this. Okay? Like God's not, not going to provide for us. Maybe we just need to be quiet. The reason why people think that some people do ministry only for the money is because it's being presented that they're doing it mainly for the money. There's too much emphasis on the money. And so, and, and so sometimes it's the fault of the ministry. And so, yes, we need to learn as those who give from Paul, but we also need to learn from those who are asking. If there's so much emphasis on money in your ministry, it pro that also hinders the gospel, as Paul said. If that's hindering the gospel, shut up about it. Well, I have a right to talk about it. It's not sinful for us to have to be supported. Nobody said it was, but is it, but is it the most effective thing to do? Does it hinder your effectiveness for the gospel. And if it does, take it off the table and shut up about it. And then if people should have supported you who didn't, God will handle that. And you think God's not going to provide what you need if you're, if you're doing it the way he said to do it? Now, he may, he may not provide everything you want because what you want may be sinful, but he will provide for everything you need. And, and so that's the point that Paul is saying. What's the next thing he says? Look at, so the first one is what? I will not take the support for the sake of the gospel. Look at the second one. I will not take the support because of the sake of the sinners. Look at 19 through 23. 19 through 23, he says this. Oh, let's go 18 first. Okay. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. That's another verse that says what I just said. Look, if I need to present the gospel with no financial support whatsoever, if that's going to be the most effective way to do it, then that's how I'm going to do it. 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So what's, what's the underlying thing? I, I, I need to make sure for the sinner's sake, verses 19 through 23, that I'm not doing anything that's going to push them away from the gospel. He goes on. And, and this is, I will say this, for what I do for a living, and we don't always do this right, there's a lot of people uh, that it sometimes are helping because they're holding us accountable, they're holding me accountable, which I appreciate. But there are a lot of people that, that, that their, their deal isn't, people ask me all the time, what are the main complaints that you get about the way you do the show? And if you don't know this, you just have been given this Bible study. Uh, we do a show that, just, I'm going to use these phrases because they're the phrases that people are familiar with. The show is done on secular radio, streaming services, whatever the case may be. However you get our show, there's nothing on our show that's labeled, this is a Christian show. It's a show that's done by Christians. And the Christians on the show are at all different levels of, of spiritual maturity. And, and we're all growing at different rates, at different paces, but, to, but everybody on the show has made a claim to be redeemed by Jesus. And then, of course, if we live our lives out in a way that seems to confirm that, uh, then praise God. If our life is being lived in a way that seems to, to not support that, then, then God will deal with us on that. But most of the emails I get, 
and this is not going to surprise any of you that are involved in a church. And I, and I love the local church, and I think if you're not involved in a church, I don't mean attend a church, involved in a church, you should be. Okay, and, and if you're, because too many people stay away from the church because of people, but you need to be in church because of God. Okay, and so, and you need to be involved in his church because he died for his church. And his church is going, I mean, even the gates of hell won't stop his church. And you, if you want to be part of that, come to the authority of Christ. If you want to sit at home and make excuses about the way people behave and miss out on that, you'll be held accountable for that. And I'm speaking from experience in my own life, okay? My, my, my growth spiritually of being involved in a local church, not attending one, but being involved in a local church, I can't, I, there's no way for me to put in words the benefit of that, okay? It's there for you, but you got to go access it. And maybe you need to quit looking at everybody else and look to Jesus. So anyway, so, but the biggest complaints that I personally get, and, and I think some of the guys on the show, the biggest complaint is it does not come from agnostics and atheists. It doesn't. I think the agnostic and atheists, they just kind of look at us and go, ah, we don't believe what you believe, but we kind of enjoy the show. We'll ignore the parts of it we don't believe in. Had a conversation with one just a minute ago. Very, very good conversation. All he said was, when you say something uh, is biblical, that don't mean anything to me. I said, I understand. I said, and I thought I clarified that. But this one topic we're talking about, it really doesn't matter if you have a biblical worldview or not. Wherever you think we came from, the same point seems to be made. And he agreed with that. He just said, but when you say something's in the Bible, that doesn't mean anything to me. Okay, I understand that. But the main complaints don't come from him or her. They really, they really don't. The number one complaints come from those who claim to be our brothers and sisters that say what? You're not doing it right. Shouldn't have played that bad music. Shouldn't, shouldn't have done that story. Uh, shouldn't do, probably shouldn't be in secular entertainment at all. What y'all need to be is in Christian radio. And um, which Christian radio is a wonderful thing. Uh, but but, but it's, it's mainly, in my opinion, uh, something that can be used to grow us spiritually and, and something that gives us worship. Uh, certainly it does a job of reaching lost people. There's no doubt about that, I'm sure. But most people find that have found their way to Christ through coming into this show, which Paul's about to talk about, coming into this show some other way. I was entertained. I found out about Christ. I, then I started investigating that. But it, I mean, we had a guy who, who is now following Jesus in Australia and is involved in his local church that came to Jesus through a Frank Caliendo video on YouTube of us interviewing Frank Caliendo. He liked that comedian. He saw us interviewing him. He, he watched that video, which led to another video, which led to the Wednesday Bible study, which led to him giving his life to Christ, which led himself to being plugged into a church in Australia, all that because he heard Frank Caliendo. He ain't going to hear Frank Caliendo on the Christian station. Okay, so, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I love Christian radio. It's just not my call, kind of like Paul said. The ones who are doing that, they should be doing that if that's their call. Uh, but, 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 you, but it's not my call. So, but what I would say to you, if I could find a verse in the Scriptures that said, tell us how this show works in ministry, this would be it, what we're about to read right here. Because he, Paul says, I'm also becoming all things to all people so that people will be saved. Now, that doesn't mean that I commit sin. It just means that I'm savvy on how the world works and I don't die on every hill on the rights that I may have. If, if I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can do to try to give everybody the best shot at seeing Jesus in me. Does that make sense? But how about where you got to fish, though, guys? You got to fish where the fish are. So listen to what Paul says. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law. Meaning what? I'm not under the law anymore. I'm, I'm part of the new covenant, even though I'm Jewish. That I might win those under the law. So what he said is, when I'm around my Jewish friends, I don't do all this weighing under the law anymore and that's stupid. Why are you doing that? Why, you don't deny yourself that. You're free to have that. You're free to do that. I'm, he said, I don't do that. When I'm around Jewish people, I act like a Jew so that I might get, get the opportunity to tell them that I believe Jesus is Messiah. I'm going to talk about all the things as Jewish people that we agree on, and then we get down to Messiah. I'm going to point to I think this is the guy. But I'm not going to sit down and start talking about the minute we sit down at the table and start talking about all the things they're doing that they don't have to do anymore because of the new covenant. I'm not going to do that. 
And then he turns around and says, all right, let's say that I'm around a bunch of uh, Gentiles. He said, when I became as one outside the law, he said, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win, might win those outside the law. He said, when I'm around Gentiles, I eat pork and I act like a Gentile. I'm not going to sin. He said, because eating pork's not a sin anymore. Jesus has made that clear to me. Now, if for some people they want to withhold from, from, from pork because they're, you know, complete Jews that now believe in Jesus, but they want to hang on to some of that, that's fine. It's not a salvation issue. He says, now I'm not going to sin, but I'm also going to be wise. And, and like I've told you before, that's what we do with the show, the entertainment part of the show, the, the comedy part of the show, the, the goofing off about today. We're trying to, we're talking about sh uh, charcuterie boards. What in the world is that? You know, so I sent, sent to the store to get, get stuff for, I don't even know what that is. And, and something that undoubtedly women eat all the time at showers. So th that's a silly conversation, but somebody listening to that, that's all part of what? Earning the right to be effective to reach them for Jesus. And so, now we're not talking about giving in to sin. Well, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners, yeah, but he didn't leave them there. And he didn't start participating in what they were participating in. He just let them know that he offered redemption. He called them to repentance and said that redemption and forgiveness is available, that he was here to deliver them from their sin. But he did go get to know them first where they were. He just don't leave them there. And, uh, and so he says, so to the weak I became weak, that I might, uh, might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. So it's ultimately the gospel that's going to save them, and he's going to maybe, maybe he can be the conduit that points them to the life-saving gospel. You know what he says? Hey, I've become all things to all people. What is he talking about with the weak? He's talking about those that are new to the faith. I'm not going to sit there with somebody new to the faith and have a conversation about them about things they don't understand yet. I'm going to pretend like maybe I don't know all those things yet. I do that all the time. You ever do that? When you're meeting somebody for the first time that's kind of entertaining the faith, you know, I, I had a conversation like this. I was talking to a guy, uh, and you know what I did? He didn't know much about it. He'd gone through a rough time with alcohol and drugs. You know what I told him? Yeah, I understand that. And I understand the, the, the trouble with alcohol and drugs. I've been there. Now, has that been a long time ago? Yeah. Am I much further down the road now? Yes. But he's not ready for that conversation. All he needs to hear about right now is how Jesus saved me. And he saved me from the same lifestyle that you're struggling in. So for, uh, for the weak, I become like the weak so that we get in a conversation. I don't, I don't get bored and say, well, I'm tired of talking about these elementary things. I, I want to get real deep. And let's talk about, you know, let's talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, you know, uh, post-trib. This guy's not ready for that conversation. He's not ready for a conversation about sanctification and, and, and the level of obedience and why aren't you making disciples yet. He can't make a disciple yet. He's not even one himself. So Paul says to a weak, to the weak, I became like the weak. I become all things. Whatever place you're at in life, I'm going to try to relate to that, and I'm going to try to talk to you like that. Why? To earn the right to point you to the gospel. And that's really what we do with the show. Sometimes we do it correctly. Sometimes we don't. But I think it's one of the things that's most misunderstood about the show. I don't understand why you're playing secular bed music mixed in with, with, with praise and worship music. I understand there's some lyrics to secular songs that we try to avoid, but the reason why there's some secular music mixed in with Christian music is if all we played is Christian music, some people may turn it off. Maybe they hear a bad music from the Rolling Stones they've heard before. And they go, hey, man, I like that. And the next thing they know, they're hearing about Jesus. Now, does that mean that I condone some of the lyrics of some of the Rolling Stones songs? Of course not. Doesn't mean that at all. Is there some things that I would do differently now that I used to do in the past? Yeah, of course but it's a process. But that, that's the point of it all. So the second reason he says, so the first thing I, that I'm not going to take this right is I'm not going to take the right for the gospel's sake, and I'm also not going to ask you to do this because of the sinner's sake. They not, may not be ready to understand why I'm asking you all for money, so I'm not going to do that. And then he says, for the last thing, I'm going to do it for my own sake. I'm not going to take this right for my own sake. Look, look what he says here in the final verses of chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. 
I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, Rick, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. He says, I'll tell you another reason why I'm going to deny myself this right, because I'm going to be smart enough to know that this is going to be an issue between you and me. So I'm not going to do it. I don't, I don't run aimlessly. I'm running the race, but I'm smart. I, I, I know the room. You ever met these people that don't, they can't read a room? You ever been around these people? Paul says, I can read the room. And I've learned to read the room. I've learned to, when I should say this and when I shouldn't. I've learned when I should take this liberty and when I shouldn't. I've learned this because I'm not out there just taking my boxing aimlessly. No, I'm, I'm boxing to hit the target. I'm running to win the prize. Hey, these runners, because, you know, the Greeks love sports, and Paul loved athletic analogies. And he said, you go out and run the, these runners. They don't just run out there and start running, don't know where they're going. You know, you remember the great thing, and it, it was very, very profound that my daddy said about a GPS. Man, it was funny, but it was so true. And so many times my daddy would say things that were just funny, but, man, they preach. Every now, there was some good theology in a lot of things he said. Uh, and, uh, and this was when I got him the GPS when they were brand new. That's what Paul's talking about. You would put them in your car. You know, y'all have heard this before. And, uh, and he didn't want it. He said, I, you know, I'm just not fired up about this gift, son. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. Of course, that was one thing my dad never understood. Just because you say that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And, uh, and so he says, uh, if you got the receipt on this, I, I, don't, I don't really see the necessity of this. I said, Dad, it's a GPS. I said, Anywhere you want to go, you just put in that GPS and it'll take you right there. And he said, I, he said I, can I, any way I can get the money back on this and get me something else? I said, well, yeah, I guess so. And I said, Dad, why don't you want a GPS? And he looked at me, and this is exactly what Paul's talking about. He said, well, Rick, honestly, I don't ever go anywhere. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> it's pretty good theology in that, isn't it? So, uh, so, so a lot, and by the way, there's no arguing against that. You just, you just give the receipt at that point. But, but what, what Dad was saying is what Paul's talking about. He goes, I feel like a lot of times people are doing ministry, you don't really have a plan. You, you don't seem to have any idea where you're going with this. I don't live that way. He said, I'm always trying to make sure that I'm not doing anything that might disqualify my integrity as the preacher, as the teacher, as the man of God. And, 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 of course, he said, um, you know, an athlete's got to be disciplined if he wants to win the prize. And I love that he says, these athletes do all this discipline. I talked about this in the show today. All these athletes do all this discipline to get a perishable wreath. You do realize in the Greek games, all they got was a wreath. There was no money. It was just saying, I'm the one who won. That was your reward. And to get that wreath was a big deal, but the wreath is just going to, it's just going to rot. He said, we're going after one that is imperishable. This is about eternity. He goes, how much more should we be disciplined? How much more should we have wisdom? How much more, and he is talking about some of this stuff I've talked about before with gluttony, how much more should we care about how we present ourselves? Do we present ourselves as a man who has no control? And then we're trying to tell people about self-control? Do we present ourselves with someone who is not running a race to win the imperishable? And we act like that this thing is no big deal. Hey, you know, yeah, I'm a man of faith. Is it a big deal in your life? Not really. Do you ever talk about it? Nah. Is it the center of everything you do? Not really. And then you know what somebody says? Well, it must not be a big deal. You don't seem to really care about how this thing's going to end. I thought you said your eternity was wrapped up in this. It is. Well, you don't act like it. That's the way I used to be. I, I claimed that I believed something that my, my life didn't look like I really believed it because I sure was being reckless. If I believed that my eternity was wrapped up in this, I certainly wasn't living like it. Now, I do now. I, I said this on the other day. I said, I've learned that if I've got time to devote, I'm going to devote it to this. I'm holding up the Bible for those who are just listening. I'm going to devote it to teaching. I'm going to devote it to learning. I'm going to devote it to praying. I'm going to devote it to studying. I'm going to devote it, devote it to be doing the ministry of the gospel. Because you know why? It's of the greatest value. Why would I waste time on other things that have no eternal value? I'm not saying that I never do anything that doesn't have eternal value, but that's not where most of my time is spent, just straight up. 
Just like I was the guy I talked to. This is what we got to do. What we got to do to turn this society around, Rick? I said we need a spiritual revolution. I know y'all may be thinking if you get the right political candidate or whatever, you're going to turn it around. You're crazy. That's not going to happen. So I don't spend my time on that anymore. I mean, do I vote? Sure. And if you want to try to get lower taxes, and I certainly want lower taxes, certainly I do that. But am I going to waste my time running around with some political candidate when I could have time going out teaching people about Jesus? I've done it before. I'll never do it again. Does it mean it doesn't matter? Yeah, it matters. But is it of the greatest value? No. The United States of America ain't going to mean anything. When Jesus comes back and takes this and does the new heaven and new earth, it's going to fade away just like nations and societies before it. And they all, by the way, last about 300 years. Okay? Now, should I use my freedom as a citizen of the country to do what I can? Certainly. But if you think that's where I'm going to spend all my time thinking I can change society politically versus changing society spiritually, if you don't change somebody's heart, why would you expect them to act differently? Well, you shouldn't really do that. And if they don't have a change in their heart, where well, they say, well, who says? Well, you shouldn't take that from him based on what? You shouldn't be just looking out for yourself. Who says? If there's no spiritual change, then there'll be no change. The only thing that changes people is Jesus. Nothing else does. They might, they might have a moment where they kind of do okay, but eventually it just falls off. So I'm going to spend my time on this because I've never encountered anything like this. And honestly, I don't have a lot of time left. So I'm certainly not going to waste it on things that are perishable. I'm going to start devoting it to things that are unperishable. And Paul says, and if that's the case, then I need to be under control and I need to make sure that what I'm doing. Now, I want, I want to understand what he says in 27. I know a lot of your, you, you, you jump back when you see that I may be disqualified. You're saying Paul's worried about losing his salvation? That's not what he's talking about. The word that you see here in the Greek uh, that we're using for disqualified, some of the uh, English versions call it that, so I don't be cast away. Others are saying disapproved. But it was at the Greek games, when they had the announcer there, who did the, he would announce the rules of the contest. He would announce the names of the contestants, their names, the cities they came from, the, who won what. But you know what else he would always announce to? He would announce those who had been disqualified. This person didn't do it correctly, so their reward was withheld from them. Not their salvation, but their reward. They, they didn't lose their citizenship in Greece, but they lost their reward. And that's what Paul's talking about. And I wonder sometimes, because I know that I, I didn't live this way, but you know what? I've, I've learned, because my salvation is not anything that I can earn. Jesus has fully done that for me. Thank you, Jesus. But I will tell you this. I find it nauseating the years of my life, even after being redeemed, and I will always look at myself at every season of my life to make sure that I haven't become a grace abuser, where I've just decided I'm going to knock it out of gear, sit on the sidelines, and just coast on home. I find it nauseating to think that there's any time in my life that I'm not going for the well done. I'm not talking about that I'm trying to earn salvation or trying to make myself holy with new self-control and new rules. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about that I am so thankful. I'm so enamored with Jesus for what he did for me that he deserves. He doesn't, he, he does, hey, it's, 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 it's not going to make me any less forgiven, but I don't want to be one of those people that just walk into the presence of the Lord and him kind of say, yeah, that one eased in here on, as much grace abuse as he could possibly do. And by the way, that's a dangerous theology, too. If you don't have a desire to go for a well done, I mean, if somebody saved your life, you mean to tell me you could ever get to a point where that didn't matter to you anymore? I mean, can you imagine somebody saved you from fire, somebody saved you from sure death, 
and you just said, you know, there was a period in my life where that just didn't mean anything anymore. I'm glad I'm alive, and I'm glad they saved me, but I just don't really appreciate it anymore. I don't think we would do that with another human being. So why do we do it to Jesus? And Paul said, well, check yourself and be sure there's nothing that you are doing, even if you're free to do it, and it's not a salvation issue. If you live your whole life just saying, I'll try not to do anything that's sin, but I'm going to take the freedoms that I have, and I'm going to have them, and I'm going to, I'm going to maximize and abuse this grace as much as I can, and I really don't care how it affects other people, then that in and of itself could be sin. Why don't we go for the well done? To stand before Jesus and have the imperishable reward. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Uh, thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And thank you for the refinement uh, that you continue to provide to all of us who are willing, willing to totally submit to your authority and be radically changed by you, the only one who can change us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us.